Like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing home and assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Steve Heisler is the creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center and has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 20 years. You have questions, and Steve Heisler has answers. This is the Injured Senior Podcast. Hello, Injured Senior community. This is attorney Steve Heisler, and I am the founder and CEO of the National Injured Senior Law Center. I'm also the host of this podcast, the Injured Senior Podcast. Now, injured senior community, did you know that globally an estimated 20 to 30 million cases of sepsis occur every year? Sepsis causes more deaths than prostate cancer, breast cancer, and HIV AIDS in the developing world. But people who are aging over 65 years old, particularly those who have health issues, are even more susceptible to sepsis than any other group. Now, according to a study published in 2006, while people aged 65 years and older make up about 12% of the American population, they make up 65% of sepsis cases in the hospitals. That's a disproportionate amount, my injured senior community friends. I wanted to have an expert on today to talk about sepsis and explain sepsis in very simple terms so that we can have a conversation and we can give some education so that, God forbid, if any, anything ever happens or any things that are related to sepsis happen to your loved ones or yourself, you'll be able to recognize it or at least have an idea as to, hey, this might be sepsis. Yeah, and sepsis is a catastrophic illness. It's killing our senior and elderly population. So I decided uh, to help educate you to bring on Dr. John Cascone. Now, Dr. Cascone is a board-certified internal medicine and infectious disease physician. His internal medicine residency was done at the University of Kansas and infectious disease follow-up at the University of Missouri-Columbia. He is the medical director of nursing homes in Southwest Missouri. His medical practice includes the care of residents in long-term care facilities, infectious disease consultations, and telemedicine and infectious disease services to rural facilities. He has a special interest in the diagnosis and treatment of sepsis, staphylococcus aureus, antimicrobial stewardship, and pressure ulcers. He lives in Joplin, Missouri with his family, and he is here with us today. How are you doing, Dr. Cascone? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I am really excited to pick your brain about sepsis. So, doctor, can you tell my injured senior community what exactly sepsis is? Of course. So sepsis, the, the definition of sepsis has evolved uh, over, over the last 30 years. And currently, as, as of 2016, the definition of sepsis 
in medical terms is defined as a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by a dysregulated host response to infection. In other words, sepsis is the body's often deadly response to infection. Now, when you say infection, what kind of infections are we talking about? So infection, the definition of an infection is an organism or a bug, if you will, in a previously sterile environment, such as the blood or the urine, that is causing disease or inflammation. And infections could be bacterial, could be viral, could be fungal, and they occur in different parts of our body. So what are some common types of infections Again, you know, this is the Injured Senior Podcast, so we want to maybe focus on what types of infections that you see mostly in elderly and, and, and senior individuals. Yes, sir. So in elderly individuals, the most common infections that lead to sepsis are urinary tract infections, which is probably number one, pneumonia, which is an infection of the, of the, of the lungs. Bacteremia, which is a fancy way of saying bacteria in the blood, and oftentimes the source of that bacteria is either the GI tract or the urinary tract, so a urinary tract infection that seeds or leaks into the bloodstream. Less common, but but certainly present uh, and occur, if you will, infections are infections that involve artificial knees or hip, skin infections, which is termed cellulitis. Pressure ulcers can get infected. Skin tears can get infected. Even the use of antibiotics can cause a certain type of diarrhea that is infectious. What exactly would constitute an infection? So, in other words, a UTI is a is, um, urinary tract infection. But are there other types of infections which aren't exactly clear or you know, they don't come out and, and appear as an infection initially? So in, infections present differently in, 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 in different people. In the elderly population, okay, infections don't present the way they do in, say, younger or middle-aged uh, groups of people. For instance, if a, a young, healthy woman may have a urinary tract infection and that manifests itself, as difficulty or pain with urination, maybe back pain and a low-grade fever. In the elderly population, a urinary tract infection may manifest itself simply as confusion or a change in mental status. Okay, so if somebody has an infection and it is becoming inflamed and it could be septic, and you gave uh, one example of a symptom or you know something that will indicate that something's not right here, something's going on here. What are some other types of symptoms that you know our injured senior community or their friends and family or people that live with them, what type of symptoms are going to happen or prevalent that they should be on the lookout for? Yes, sir. That's an excellent question. The most common signs or symptom, I should say, of sepsis in the elderly is a change in mental status, okay? Dad just isn't acting like himself today. 
that's the most common. The typical fever, right, as defined as a temperature of greater than 100.4, oftentimes that doesn't occur in the elderly. In fact, half of the patients over the age of 65 who present with sepsis don't have a fever at all. So in terms of symptoms, we need to have a high degree of suspicion, change in mental status, feeling under the weather, poor appetite, increased confusion, fatigue, lightheadedness. Those are symptoms that we should pay attention to in our elderly population and in our loved ones because they they may represent an, uh, an infection that has led to sepsis. An example, if I may, my mother last year, she called me up, said she felt under the weather, and she was a little confused on the phone, which is very unusual for her. Okay. So we took her to the emergency room immediately. She, she had sepsis. She had bacteria in her urine and in her blood. She had none of the typical urinary symptoms, back pain. She had no fevers. She had confusion. If we would have waited, the outcome would have been, could have potentially been horrific. She did fine. So we have to have a high degree of suspicion in our loved ones and in our elderly patients that we take care of for non-specific symptoms and not look for the typical fever and cough. Okay. Then confusion sounds like it's, it's well, at least, you know, a, a red flag or something, uh, an indicator that your loved one, just like your mom, could be septic or could be in the beginning stages of, of sepsis. So, so you said pay attention to it. So if you see that, should you take them to the hospital or do you call the doctor? I mean, what, what does that mean as far as action steps, as far as what you should do if you see that? Yes, sir. What you do or what you don't do, I should say, is you don't say, well, let's just see if it gets better or goes away on its own. You have to take the loved one to the hospital and be evaluated in the emergency room. And the reason that's important is because we know that time is of critical importance in the survival of sepsis. The longer we wait, the mortality or the the risk of death starts to climb. So the sooner sepsis is recognized and treated, the likelihood of survival and getting through it is much improved. So we should go straight to the emergency room for evaluation, not just say, well, we'll just let's sleep on it and see how you feel in the morning. So a loved one or or a spouse or child of, of an elderly individual or senior individual who is showing mental confusion shouldn't feel, well, uh, you know, I don't want to go to the emergency room and have them look at me like, are you crazy? Or should they not feel guilty or not feel, you know, like they're putting a burden on the emergency room? You know, they're like, you mean you're bringing them in here just for a check on their mental confusion? Is that something that usually you get some pushback from on the staff of medical facilities? Right. So the, the, the first part, the, the, the way we should look at dad's not acting well or dad, dad's not acting himself, that is analogous to having chest pain. Okay. The mortality from sepsis is equivalent, if not greater, than the mortality from a, an acute myocardial infarction or a heart attack. Okay. So we need to look at changing mental status, low-grade fevers, feeling under the weather, diarrhea fast heart rate, we need to look at that as chest pain because sepsis is is every bit of a medical emergency as a heart attack. 
I really like that, you know, that analogy there that it's no different than chest pain, you know? So if they get chest pain, they have no problem with bringing their loved ones or going to the emergency room or to some medical facility and that we have to get into the minds of our injured senior community that they should not feel, you know, like they're putting a burden or, or they're just, you know, it's not an important situation where they bring their loved one, you know, to an emergency room when they have mental confusion and, you know, they're, they're a senior or, or elderly. Exactly. If you look at, let's say, pneumonia, right, an infection in the lung, in a younger person or a middle-aged person, they typically have fever, cough, and chest pain with a deep breath. In an older person, they feel under the weather, fatigued, and when they go to the ER, their oxygen saturation or the amount of oxygen in their blood is low. So again, what, what the illustration of the example is, we need to have a high degree of suspicion And when our elderly uh, loved ones have nonspecific symptoms, just not acting right, sepsis needs to be high on our list of possibilities. And again, we consider that as chest pain. It's because it's equivalent in terms of the risk of a bad outcome. When patients are taken to the ER, we as providers, nurses and doctors, also need to have a high degree of suspicion. And a lot of times ERs will have certain checklists that they have to go through in order to make sure we don't overlook the possibility that this elderly person is suffering from sepsis. Because if we miss it, it leads to a bad outcome. Now, doctor, I think that our injured senior community might you know, be a little confused as to whether or not our loved ones who have dementia or, you know, early stages of dementia, or even have Alzheimer's, how do they distinguish between regular signs of Alzheimer's or dementia, as opposed to uh, they have dementia and they have Alzheimer's, but how do they distinguish that there's mental confusion? Would it mimic Alzheimer's or, or dementia, or are there additional symptoms that they should look for? Yes, sir. So dementia, okay, is a risk factor and contributes to the atypical presentation of sepsis. When we think about our immune system, we typically think about white blood cells fighting and attacking bacteria and viruses and killing. But our mind is also a major component of our immune system because our ability to reason and our cognitive ability, if you will, allows us to understand you know, I'm not feeling well today. I got a fever and I got abdominal cramps and and loose bowel movements, or it burns when I urinate. And then we are able to seek help for our symptoms. In our elderly patients and loved ones, if you will, when we have have dementia, we're not able to recognize these symptoms. So the cognitive dysfunction um, uh, impairs the elderly patient from recognizing that something's not right. And that contributes to the atypical presentation because they don't come in and say it burns when I urinate or I have fevers and night sweats. So how, how do you differentiate or how do you look for sepsis in, the, in, 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 in these patients who have dementia? You, you need to look for an exacerbation or a change in their condition. Okay? They are sleeping more. They don't want to eat. They're not interacting at all. Perhaps their skin feels warm or is flush. 
they have some sweating, their mucous membranes or their, or their tongue is dry, a change in their bowels or not making urine. These are things we must look for in patients who are not able to tell us they are not feeling well. Okay. How do you differentiate between just regular symptoms or just behavior of Alzheimer's as opposed to, you know, septic confusion that's coming from sepsis? Well, if you have an Alzheimer's patient who doesn't typically have behaviors and now they're having behaviors, that's a change in condition that needs to be evaluated. If they typically have behaviors and the behaviors are worse or they're not occurring anymore because the patient um, is not interacting as much, that's also a change of condition. When in doubt, the loved one or caregiver at home should bring the patient to the ER and let them figure out exactly what's going on. Okay, It's not something that we should say, well, let's just see if it gets better or try to figure out on our own. It should be evaluated medically, the patient with a change of condition like that. So what I'm hearing is that, look, if your loved one, your your senior or your elderly loved one is showing signs of mental confusion and when in doubt, bring them in. So you're losing time, obviously, very vital time if you don't uh, address it immediately, correct? That is correct. In fact, for every hour that passes, that a, uh, once the diagnosis of sepsis is made, for every hour that passes that a patient does not get appropriate antibiotic therapy, the mortality goes up by 7.8%. Wow. So time is critical to survival. If my mother would have waited four more hours, this conversation we're having about her would be completely different. So it's just, it's just like having chest pain. We know that if you go to the ER and you say you have chest pain, they immediately take you back and they evaluate you to see if you've had a heart attack. Because we know, the medical community knows, the sooner they can open up that artery and perfuse the heart with blood, the better the chance the heart will be saved and, and a patient will walk out of, the, out of the hospital eventually. Same thing with sepsis. It is door to antibiotic time. As soon as you walk into the ER and they make that assessment and determine you have sepsis, the sooner you get those antibiotics, the better your chance of recovery. So don't wait. Don't see if it gets better in a few hours. Take your loved one to the ER and get them evaluated. And as providers, we need to be vigilant. When patients come into the ER, nurses and doctors need to be high on our list of what's going on in terms of sepsis because we want to make sure patients are treated in a timely fashion. So for the senior and elderly community, what is the mortality rate when they're coming in with sepsis? Is it, is it higher than the rest of the population you know, as far as uh, fatalities from, from sepsis? Yes, it is. It, it's, it's much higher. Sepsis, well, we know, okay, the, the mortality for sepsis or as a whole is approximately, it ranges from 10 to 50%, okay? In, in individuals less than the age of 44, the mortality, with, with no other medical problems, the mortality is at its lowest. The older we get, over the age of 65, the mortality for sepsis starts to climb. So sepsis is a continuum, right? From infection, meaning you have 
just a, a bacteria in, say, your urine, you've got a urinary tract infection, to sepsis from that urinary tract infection, and then septic shock, which is sepsis, right? The infection causing organ dysfunction with a drop in blood pressure. That's what septic shock is. The mortality for sepsis is 10% if you have sepsis alone. Once septic shock develops, once the blood pressure drops, the mortality goes 40 to 50, 50%. So you have a one in two chance of not surviving when the blood pressure drops as a result of that infection. And if you leave sepsis alone, meaning you don't treat it, eventually you're going to have a circulatory collapse or a drop in the blood pressure leading, causing shock. And then that mortality skyrockets. Right. Because of the blood pressure uh, is, you know, if you're hypotensive and the blood pressure is so low, uh, the organs can't function, correct? You, you don't perfuse your vital organs. You don't perfuse your brain, your kidneys, your heart, et cetera. And um, once septic shock develops, it's, uh, it's not good. So, but so that it, it reiterates the point, the sooner you, you, you recognize it, diagnosis and treat it, the better patients do. So let's say that you get your loved one or you get yourself, if you're a senior or an elderly individual, to the hospital in a reasonable period of time. What are some tests that the medical professionals do to determine whether or not you have sepsis? So, so as a provider, what we do is we take a history. Oftentimes, if the patient is unable to give a history, the, our elderly patient, we ask the loved one or the caregiver who's present, is there a change in condition? How's the patient been acting? We check vital signs. What's the blood pressure? What's the heart rate? Is the heart rate fast? What's the respiratory rate? Is the respiratory, is it fast? Um, when you say respiratory rate, you mean how many breaths per minute they're taking? Exactly. So a normal breath per minute is approximately 14 to 20. Above 20 breaths per minute is considered a warning sign, okay? And a pulse above 90 beats per minute is considered a warning sign. So if dad isn't acting right and his pulse is 95, that may indicate sepsis and he needs to be evaluated emergently. So that's some, that's, those are the, the vital signs are critical as a provider in how we assess our patients. And then we, we examine them. Is the skin pale? Is it, is it sweaty? Does the patient look ill? Okay. And then laboratory-wide, we listen to the lungs. We want to see if there's abnormal breath sounds or if the heart rate sounds abnormal or if there's rashes or the belly doesn't feel normal in terms of is it distended or, or tender. We obtain a chest X-ray. And, and we do these lab tests now immediately. So all, all this is done, should be done within an hour. Okay. The evaluation, the laboratory and the radiology, the radiology includes a chest x-ray looking for pneumonia laboratory. We get blood cultures. We check the kidney function. We check the white blood cell count in terms of a CBC to see if it's elevated or if it's low above 12,000 or, or below 4,000 is a warning sign. We check a lactate, and a lactate, a serum lactate level tells us if the organs are being perfused. And in sepsis, if the blood if the blood vessels dilate and the blood pressure drops, the lactate goes up. So we check a serum lactate, and we know 
that if the serum lactate is elevated, it affects mortality. Okay, so that's a critical lab test that must be ordered. We check a urinalysis to see if there's evidence of infection. And while we're waiting on these results to come back, we start antibiotics because the diagnosis of sepsis is, is typically a presumptive diagnosis, okay, that, that we treat pending the finalization of, of, of the lab test. We don't wait for the blood cultures to come back in two days and, and tell us they're sterile uh, before we treat. And that is right there just on its own, the fact that, you know, it indicates it's so indicative of you have to treat it now because you can't even wait for the lab test to come back because if you wait, that person could go into septic shock and, you know, so it's really preventative starting the antibiotics right away. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's empiric, right? We, 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 we make an um, educated assessment a clinical diagnosis of what we think is going on, and we get antibiotics on board. We get fluids running, okay? And then as the data starts coming in, and the data, uh, uh, it, some of it takes a while. The blood cultures take two to three days to get finalized. As that starts coming in, then we can start pulling back. But we don't want to miss the opportunity to, to treat our patients because if we, if we, if we don't give them antibiotics, we don't provide fluid resuscitation uh, with IV fluids, then we, we have a, a high risk of a poor outcome. That's good information, doctor. I just wanted to ask you on the blood pressure. So what is a blood pressure that someone should be concerned about as far as sepsis? What, how low does it need to go before it looks like that's something that is, is concerning? Yes. So, so first off, it's good to know what the baseline blood pressure is for your loved one, okay? Normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. As we age, our blood pressure goes up, okay? And most elderly patients will have blood pressures, top numbers of 150s and below, and low and, and the bottom numbers of, of, of 90. So systolics of 150 and diastolics of 90. So 150 over 90. As that systolic blood pressure starts to drop, warning would be anything below 100, okay? So if your loved one or uh, elderly patient has a systolic blood pressure below 100, that's a, that's a warning sign, certainly below 90. The definition of shock is based upon what we call mean arterial pressure, where we kind of plug the numbers in and we come up with a, a number of less than 65. And we know that once that mean arterial pressure, so if you're at home and you have a blood pressure cuff, check your loved one's blood pressure. If the systolic or top number is below 100, it's a concern and they should be evaluated emergently. And if the bottom, if the bottom number is under 65, you well, should be concerned. The, the bottom number, I, I would say under 60, 65, the bottom number. Yes. Got it. Doctor, I have to tell you, I have a lot, <laughs> I have a lot more questions to ask you about sepsis and we had planned to go into some other areas such as the bundle, the one hour and the three hour bundle and, you know, just uh, a lot more about sepsis. However, we have run out of time. So as we had discussed also off air that I'm going to have you back for some other infectious disease issues that I'd like you to talk about, but I'm going to have to have you back for part two of this so we can talk more about, you know, what is going on in the hospitals and in nursing homes as far as 
you know, recognition of the sepsis because again, I don't want we're out of time, but you will agree that in medical facilities, when someone starts showing signs of sepsis, such as in a nursing home or in an assisted living facility, it's not always recognized by the medical provider. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that completely. And, and that leads to bad outcomes. Yes. We're going to talk about that in the next episode that we do. I do want you, as some parting tips for our injured senior community, if, if you had to give uh, two or three action steps, if they're suspecting sepsis, what would those tips be as far as action steps that they should take to help and, and literally save their loved one? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of treatment. Get your vaccinations, your flu shot, and your pneumonia shot. Keep a list of all the medications you take in your wallet or on, on your loved one's person, if you will. If your loved one is not acting normally, has a change in condition, or you just don't feel like things are right, take them to the hospital and have them evaluated urgently. Do not delay. I think that's the most important action step. When in doubt, get them to the hospital. Yes, sir. So, doctor, I want to thank you for for being on today. Your information has been really, really important, and we're just so glad that we were able to, uh, you know, to have you uh, educate us about sepsis. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about sepsis or wants to inquire about your services, how can they get in touch with you? Yes, sir. So, my phone number is. 816-277-8686. And my email is jcascone77 at gmail.com. Thanks, doctor. That's it for now, folks. As always, if you have any questions about an injury to a senior or elderly person, such as sepsis, please feel free to email me at info at InjuredSeniorHotline.com. Injured Senior Community, if you like the contact we discussed today in this episode, please head on over to the show notes where you will find a summary of today's show and any important links we mentioned in this episode. Also, always feel free to reach out to me about your own story as an injured senior or elderly individual. Again, at info at InjuredSeniorHotline.com. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Be sure to tune in to next week's show. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast with Steve H. Heisler. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more or to get help anytime, go to InjuredSeniorHotline.com or call 855-622-6530. We'll see you next time.